1: Hello, this is Eric LeMay, a host on New Books in Literature, a channel on the New Books Network. Today I interview Cecilia Gentili about her new book, Foltas, Letters to Everyone in My Hometown Who Isn't My Rapist. In this poignant and powerful and sometimes wickedly hilarious book, Gentili looks back at her childhood in a small town in Argentina and at the people who shaped her life in ways that are by turns joyous and painful. What emerges as we read her intimate letters is the portrait of a person, both then and now, fully and beautifully committed to embracing oneself with all our splendor and all our faultus. Enjoy my conversation with the singular Cecilia Gentili. Cecilia Gentili, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you for
0: having me.
1: I'm so glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to chatting about your new book, Foltus, Letters to Everyone in My Hometown Who Isn't My Rapist. Wow, what a title.
0: Right, is (laughs) it? It is a literally loaded, right?
1: <laughs> it is so wonderfully loaded, and and I think it talks about and gives us a sense of just how dimensional the book is. But before we go to the book, and I'm so excited to go to the book, it is a book where you write back to people in your hometown over several decades ago. Um, and and your life has been so multidimensional. It, it it involves activism and politics and storytelling and performance, and just a tremendous uh, array of experiences. and And so, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about leaving your hometown and the life between when you left Galvez in Argentina um, and and the writing of the book. So we just have some sense of of the journey after leaving your hometown that this book writes back to, if that makes sense.
0: Well, um, um, thank you, you're very generous with your appreciations of me. Um, so yes, this book uh, happens in Galvez, uh, which is a very small town that I, um, left at age 17 uh, to um, with the idea of going to college to a bigger town in Argentina called Rosario. Um, but uh, when I moved to Rosario, I met uh, trans people and the first trans person that I ever met and I found Uh, transness. And uh, I realized that I was uh, not crazy or I was not a UFO as I thought. And I found answers to my life and to who I was. And um, that took me away from college. You know, at the time, it was not like you could go to college and be trans. Um, And uh, so um, I chose transness, um, uh, clearly. And um, so that uh took me to uh to live for 10 years in rosario and where i was uh living as a trans person uh also engaging in the in 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 the sex trade and um also um my introductions to 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 drugs and um that happens to be my next book uh that i'm writing Uh, That is my life in Rosario, and then after Rosario in 2000, I came to the United States. And uh, for the first ten years in the United States, uh, I um, kind of uh, I I came with other 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 expectations of the United States uh, about what was going to be waiting for me here. It it was not uh, it was not clear what I what, what. what I was expecting from the United States, but whatever I was expecting from the United States, I didn't get. <laughs> uh, so for, during the first 10 years in my life uh, here in the United States, uh, I uh, I, uh, I, continue being a sex worker and I continue using drugs. Uh, and um, because of those two things are criminalized, I ended up um, in jail many times and um, homeless and um, yeah, um, things were not, it was not my best time uh, in my history. Uh, those uh, ten years, and then after being uh, uh, put under uh, deportation procedures um, by the United States, I found um, um, recovery from substances and treatment and uh, uh, harm reduction and uh, all a series of arrays that I didn't a, a series of services that I didn't know. Uh, like mental health services, health services, right? For the first time, I got like a hormone shot that was provided by a doctor, Um, uh, recovery services, uh, immigration services, and all of that took me to uh, uh, find uh, a legal status in this country uh, and a sense of wellness and uh, other... uh, Opening the the pool of choices uh, for uh, employment, and uh, I moved from uh, from being a sex worker to working in services, and after working in services for about four years, I moved to working in policy, and after working in policy, I moved into having my own company, and um, I do a lot of education, I do a lot of. Uh, um, Uh, support and technical assistance to uh, non-profits, to for-profits. We also have uh, some um, uh, work with government. And um, I employ about 10 people right now, and uh, I moved to Brooklyn. I'm I'm a Brooklyn girl now, which is the whole new identity that I'm Struggling with, uh, but mental health is super helping me in this process of becoming owning my new identity as a as a Brooklyn girl, and um, yeah, and I'm in a relationship with my partner Peter, and um, yeah, I met Peter. When I met Peter, I like a week before I met Peter, I remember clearly remember saying, "I'm not gonna date a man." I'm not gonna date a cis person, and I'm definitely not dating a white man, a white person. Here he comes, Peter, cis white man, and uh, I will be in a relationship for about ten years, <laughs> and that's the that's the, the that's the guy that I dedicate my my book to.
1: Mm-hmm. And and there's also so thank you for that. I I mean. I, I understand that you're writing another book. I think there's going to be more books after that, or at least I hope. I hope that there will be more books after that. There's plenty of fascinating material. And then there's also a dimension in your life where storytelling comes in. And And in one interview, and, and here's a way maybe we can bring them together. In one interview, you said, advocacy is storytelling and storytelling is advocacy. Can you... Can you tell us a little bit about your, your storytelling past before this book?
0: Um, yeah. Yes. I, uh, uh, when I was working, I, I went from working at Apicha uh, community health center where I led their trans clinic. And when I left, I had about 650 patients and, uh, uh Those uh, are all my children and uh, people who I love and I remember each and one of them. Uh, But working in services is really hard, right? You have to, it's hard to go home, you know, uh, to sleep in your comfortable bed and have a wonderful dinner when you just left 10 people who don't have a house, who don't have anything to eat, right? Uh, I don't have that kind of, thick skin to deal with, that uh, with that kind of, uh, uh of uh, trauma, uh, that, that was, has been my trauma before. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm relieving it through my clients. And then I go to a reality that kind of, uh, uh kind of takes me away from that trauma. So it's hard to, to, to kind of uh, enjoy that. So I was like, I can't do services anymore because it's just, I can't, I can't, it's too bad for me. So I moved to work at GMAC, where I led their policy department. Um, And uh, while I didn't know anything about policy or advocacy, um, folks folks at GMAC were like very uh, nice to me and taught me. Um, So I, I, I didn't know much about policy, but it was one thing that I was great at, that was Kind of putting together a message, right? Uh, and and more if the message was somehow important or, or part of my experience, right? And that's when I started. You know, you don't have you know hours and hours with a, an elected official or with a uh, w- with a politician or with a, a, a donor, right? You have to convey a message. That is short, concise, and has as many details as you can without being too long, and that's how I started like writing, you know, my narratives and and putting uh, putting together uh, a, a little story of what I wanted to convey to these folks, right. Uh, in order to change policy or get funding or create the changes that I needed, so uh, when I started uh, doing advocacy is when I started uh, working on uh, on on my stories and for that and storytelling, and I have been fascinated since then, and I have been absolutely in love with uh, with storytelling. Um,
1: Yes. I'm yes. Sorry, the, the
0: long long answer though.
1: I appreciate the long answer. And <laughs> and I know from reading some of your other interviews that that when you started writing this book it was a little bit before all of the the recent anti-trans legislation really started in the last few years. Um but you you have talked about how the work that you're doing here is a kind of advocacy for trans youth, and I wonder if, as a way of taking us to the book, you could talk a little bit about about the the work you see it doing um, from your your political and activist side um, before we get into the the larger vision of your childhood that that it speaks to.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, I I truly believe that, you know, when I was writing the book, I very clearly knew that uh, uh, audiences uh, would be stuck on specific uh, parts of my narrative. Like, you know, uh, sexual assault in uh, and, 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 and an infant is something that, you know, it's, it's hard to you know, to, it's, it's hard to talk, you know, in, in terms of narrative. So I, I knew that a lot of people would be just stuck on the, you know, uh, but I I hope as I was writing that the book would translate into taking a look to an overall, idea of the life of of a young trans person, which in my case, for example, was not even, uh, I, I didn't even know that, that I was trans, right? But I was trans, and that I thought that I hoped as I was writing that people would understand how important it is to support a queer child or a trans child and how important it is to offer uh, support and offer um a, a sensitive environment to a queer child uh, in uh, in order to in order to avoid all the terribleness that life can bring to uh, to to us as as queer uh, trans people right so i thought like I thought I hope this book helps uh, parents and adults who are around queer or trans children to understand that uh, all of this the terribleness that I experience can be avoided just with love, right just with support, just with uh, with caring uh, for these children. And, um, and I still hope that though.
1: Yeah one of the the things that was so powerful for me about the book is that you were able to take us into what the the inner experience you know to say it fancier more what the psychology was of being 6 or 11 or 13 just what what pain feels like, and what joy feels like, and what support feels like, and what abandonment and loneliness feels like. Uh, and so there was just this, this sense of the full dimensionality of the child you were, but not only that, but, but being in the mind of the child you were, like how the logic works of acceptance and, and of, you know, Abuse and and how those are so inextricable, um, and for me that was part of it. And so, so one of the things I was thinking was looking so forward to asking you was, as you write this so many decades later, how close do you feel to that young Cecilia back in Galvez um, as you were writing it? Because you you render her so fully on the page.
0: Oh you know, I can't, I cannot escape her. I cannot escape her. And, and, and it's not that I want to escape her, uh, but even if I, if, if I would want to escape uh, her, I can't because, you know, I, I, all those experiences translate very clearly to who I am today, right? And um, uh, I I am learning about reconsidering a lot of uh, the ways that I have been feeling about my experiences, right? Uh, Because as a child, you know, you are not prepared to deal with many of those things right and you should not be prepared and that's not uh, what the, the 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 brain of a child uh, should be or is at any point able to dissect right like like sexual abuse, like 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 murder murder like um, you know uh, stealing like uh, you know uh, children are not I don't have the capacity to, 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 dissect, uh, some of those realities that I went through and, 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 and because I experienced all those things as a child, I have created a lot of expectations and assumptions and, and, and behaviors, right? That now as an adult, um, either shape who I am uh, in a good way or in a bad way, right? So what I'm doing now is kind of like taking a look uh, towards all those experiences and understanding how they shape my current reality and seeing what I want to keep and what I want to change. And it's a process, right? And I'm, you know, I'm doing, you know, I've been in therapy for so long and now I I move into doing EMDR and I am in awe of the the incredible heaviness of my experiences that are held in my brain and 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 I am um, really understanding I, I'm, 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 I'm I'm beginning to understand why I do the things that I do and how I can change some of those things through understanding those experiences and how to value some of the things that i do and um it's 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 an it's a it's an experience of relearning to love myself Mm. i think that's not really corny though but whatever i
1: don't i don't think it sounds corny at all i think that's that's (laughs) the journey that many of us go on um and i love that you use the word relearning because there's no reason you wouldn't start loving yourself and you have to, the world and the people that we encounter teach us to unlearn that. And so we have to relearn it.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. I think to, to just speak to what you were kind enough to share, one of the things that happens in the book is that, so there's you describing your life in the town and what you were going through. And you, the adult, also pop in. You, you now pop in to tell us a little bit about what you're thinking um, at this moment in time, and and there's there's a generosity in that you you just come out and say like. I don't know if I've thoroughly processed this yet. Um, <laughs> and that lets the rest of us, you know, oh, okay. Right. We can be in process without doing it. And, and there's an interesting choice you make. So the book, it's this, this wonderful series of letters to all these people who were significant and sometimes even peripheral, but still significant in a way. But the last letter or, ends to somebody who just just seems like a horrible person. uh, Della Martesis, right? And I I was curious about why you chose to end there, because the second till the last letter is to your mother. Um, And and that's, you know, I read that and weeped and laughed. Uh, And then The final one was, and and it it was very much a, I'm not sure what I think about you, but I'm curious about that choice to to end with her. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about who she was, um, as well as why you chose to end the book with the letter to her.
0: Um, I, uh, it it was not planned. Um, Yes, letter was not going to be there. Um, It was going to be a letter to my brother uh, at, at the end. Um, And while, when I started writing uh, the last letter, I realized that I didn't have much to say to my brother, that I really didn't want to say a lot of things to my brother. And I realized that my brother is still alive and my brother would be willing to have a conversation so it's not me ne- it was not need to write this letter to him when I could just call him or let's just meet him right and say like hey you know about all these things that happened right or explain to me why you left the house when I was born right he can tell me he can give I don't have to make a theory about it right <laughs> he can it can tell me. Uh, So, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. And it felt like the letter felt horrible and, uh, and it felt forced and it felt like, yeah, if it it felt like it was not conducive to any, anything. Mm And um, uh, while I was talking to my editor, my editor was like, I feel like you should write a letter to everyone in your hometown. And then she says, and I also feel like I, I would like to know how you really feel about Delia. And I was like, let's put all my feelings to the whole town into her because why not? Right, <laughs> that's why not. That's you know what you get. That's you know what that's what you get in life. You know you get a letter from me. You know sometimes you get karma, and sometimes karma is a letter from me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I I, 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 I'm gonna talk for myself, but I think like people don't wanna. Be perceived as being bitter, or you know, having unfinished business, or being like. Uh, but I realized that that's how I feel about her. I'm I'm bitter. I'm, I am bitter. It was a, a review of a book that called it like a like like a bitter book. And at the beginning, when I read the the word bitter, I was like, oh, this is the bad review about the book. And I'm and then I realized, no, this is the perfect review of the book. The book is bitter. I am bitter about, about, about what people, how people treat, treated me. And why not? Why shouldn't I be bitter with people who were so terrible towards me? So, and that I started writing a letter to, to, to Delia. And that part of me wanted to be inspirational and live like this. And, and, and lead people thinking that I'm a good person who put everything behind and forgives and forget. And <laughs> I realize that I am not that person and that I am not there. And what I the, the closest that I could get to forgiving and forgetting, it would be to tell you how much I dislike you and how much, uh, how little I think of you. And that it's my book, I can do it. You know, I, I can do it, I can do it. And I can really not care about what people think of it. So I did it. Unfortunately, I do think, I do care about what people think of it. So that's why when, when I read the word bitter in the review, I thought that was bad. And then I was like, no, this person really gets it. <laughs>
1: yeah I might add to that that bitter something like the the final letter is bitterly honest or honestly bitter and and that's part of it so even if even if you haven't achieved some sainthood that none of us do um you're at least honest enough to tell us how you feel and and that's one of the reasons I think we trust you all through the book
0: you know um, my mom my mom was a like very um my mom hated when people talk good shit about themselves, um, he, 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 me included. Right? You know when when you know you know when people say like you know uh, I'm the kind of person that you know that what comes out of that is something good about you, right? People say like I'm the kind of person who nobody says I'm the kind of person who likes to do horrible things, right? Everybody is like I'm the kind of person, and you know that a whole bunch of crap about how good they are is coming after that sentence right so my mom my mom hated that my mom hated that and i grew up to just like not do that and i i have a hard time uh, saying good things about me or the things that i do uh, but you know you mentioned the word honest and uh, and and i have to say that if something that this book is is honest it is it's, it's honest it is it was written with a high sense of honesty and high regard for honesty and, and like respect for uh for my feelings uh, and respect for uh, for my history it, it has a, a lot of little liberties about you know the, the event. Uh, at times for a, you know for a, for for a literary uh, gain uh, but it's honest is it, honest in and, and, and the feelings are honest uh, and, and that's the kind of person I am. I am the kind of person who <laughs> is <know.
1: It's> honest. <laughs> and that's the kind of person you know is not going to lie to you even if you don't want to hear what they want to say.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I have every time somebody says I'm the kind of person that and I see my mother looking at them saying like you're just about to say a whole bunch of shit about yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's, I think it's in your letter to your mother that you say something like, I'll say something brilliant or I'll say bullshit. And if it's bullshit, I'll bamboozle you into thinking it's brilliant. That's wonderful. Well, can you tell me how the the letter helped you to do that? Because it, it is... You know, the book has this delicious feeling of, like, you found somebody else's letters and you get to read through their story. Why did you choose the letters as your form rather than, like, say, a memoir or something like that? Um, what, what was it about the letter that allowed you to do what you wanted to do?
0: Yeah. Uh, storytelling, uh, my experience of storytelling involves an audience right every time i did storytelling before yeah you know i did it i did it with an elected official right so it is a person in front of me that i am addressing my narrative to right it is a person who i manipulate the narrative to gain what i need right uh, it, it is it, it is the person in front of me all the time you know, I did storytelling in events and like you know theater venues, and, and it's a group of people, right? That that I am that I am uh, talking to, right? Uh, in the book, uh, I was missing on an audience, right? You have no control of who your audience is going to be when you write a book, right? Anybody can read it, right? So. I did not want to see uh, the, the reader as the final audience. I needed to have a very clear audience for, the, for this book. And, and it was not going to be the reader. The audience needed to be a person. So that's why these letters are for, they are the audience. Each of them are the final a point of interest of these letters. You get to enjoy it as a reader, but this book is not for you. It's, it's for them. It's for each of them. It's, it's, it's very personal. Does, does that make sense?
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, because you can, you can imagine, for me as the reader, getting to sort of overlook or read over their shoulder, I get to imagine the the fullness of the relationship and how this letter engages that. Whereas I think if you were trying to tell me about, you know, here's my relationship with my grandmother or my father, you'd give me a lot of backstory that isn't the essence of what you want to say.
0: And, and that's exactly what the letter does. Allow me to go into the essence of what I wanted to say to each of them, right? Without... Uh, without caring about what you as a reader think of or, or without, uh, with the opportunity to not manipulating my my narrative to to cater to you as a reader, right? I didn't want to, and this may not be a good thing to hear as a reader, <laughs> but it was not, the, the, the reader was not the final uh, pleasing person in in this in this process
1: you are the kind of person who writes a book that ultimately isn't for the reader i am (laughs) (laughs) there is that honesty again i wrote this book and you might go out and read it but it's not for you Not for you And even if it's not for us, it is very clear in the, the book that these these were not easy letters for you to write to the people that you're writing to. There are, there are moments in the book where there will be a break and you'll say, I had to put this letter aside um, and I had to come back to it, or I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Could you tell us a little bit about your process? Because... You know, you had mentioned earlier some of the experiences that you're writing about. Um, it's, it's hard to bring, to go back into traumatic material in itself. That's why we need therapists. And then to take that, those experiences, and begin to, to craft them and put them into a letter, that's a different kind of hard. How, how was the experience of writing the letters?
0: But some of the letters were written from beginning to end, and, and, and of course, not. It's not what you get, but you know, the letter was, you know, I wrote the letter from beginning to end, and uh, uh, and of course, then I edited and edited and edited and changed and changed it. But the bulk of the letter was written at once, um, especially one letter from that I wrote uh, in a. Um, in a flight from Hawaii, an 11 hour flight from Hawaii. Um, I, 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 you know, But some of the letters I had to put down because I was overwhelmed or because I I really wanted to be clear about what I wanted to say to these people, right? Um, it's also some, some of these folks are alive, some of these folks are not, so uh, how, how how would these letters change their lives especially like the letter to rosanna the first person right who you know what gives me the right to come into your life and tell you that your father who you adore is a rapist was a rapist right what what gives me that right to barge into your life and and mess it up with this information right and and so it it, it was a lot of process about about how how these letters could have an effect in in people be, besides myself, right? Because, you know, the, the purpose for me was, you know, to heal and to just, you know, I come from, from treatment, from drug treatment, and they said, like, you know, you're sick as your secrets, right? And I was like, I have to put all this, this you know, I can tell my therapist, but that's just not enough. I have to put these secrets way, way out there because they're rotting inside me, right? So this book is, thank you everybody for helping me by, by reading it. You are owning part of my trauma and my pain. And that makes life better for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times uh, it took it, it took time to really Kind of dissect what I, what I wanted to say to people, and 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 sometimes that came all at once, and sometimes it needed time. The letter for my mother was especially especially hard to write. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm Argentinian, you know, uh, half of my family is Italian. Um, you know, it's a reverence. If you listen to tango, for example, tango is. About how terrible women are to men, and how great their mothers are next to these women that are terrible, right? So, so everything, every like in tango, like which has shaped my, you know, my life. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of tango. Uh, you know, um. Uh, w- Tango is an exacerbation of uh, of motherly love, the love of a mother, right, and, and 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 the love of specifically of men of their mothers, right. Uh, so I grew up with with that idea that you know you can never love your mother enough, right, and that doesn't leave a lot of space to say good bad things about about your mom, right, uh, and and I had to talk about certain things about my mom, right without taking away the fact that she was loved by everybody, right, and nobody could have an opening to learn anything bad about my mother because she was great, she was a great person. So when I when I came to understand that a great person can be a bad parent, it was very clear to me about how I was going to shape that narrative. Right. She was a great woman. She, she, she would be your best friend. She was my best friend. Was she a good mother? No. Hmm. I in in my understanding of motherhood. She was not. (laughs) So (laughs) and that doesn't take away that she was wonderful and and she was loving and she was fun and she was like, each of us uh, the result of a history of trauma and uh, and, and so it's, it was hard for me to to write a letter to her and also knowing that she can' say anything about it right she can tell me about this excuse me you're wrong right she she, she doesn't have the, the the capacity to to do that so everything that I wrote I I also thought is this something that my mom could own mm. right and I believe she could I believe she could say it to me yeah you're right I, all these things that you say I you know I, I was not good as a mother and you still here shut up <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah th- there are moments in the book that I want to ask you about and and when I experienced them, they were so powerful that I, I want to save them for the reader who's going to, to do it. And and one of them is in the letter to your mother, what your mother comes to know and and how you handle it and how she handles it. And so, so without giving away the experience of reading the book, I want to thank you for that and say how powerful it was.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. About, about my mother is another it's my favorite part of the book is about my mother and it's in a letter and it is just a very simple image that I that comes tied to my mom is that when my mom um let the seat of her bicycle land on her hip um while she is taking all this load of terrible uh, words from my grandmother, uh, and how she writes away from it, um, that's my favorite part of the book. And um, and it's it's not it has not been anybody's favorite part. It's just my no, nobody told me. Oh, that part when you talk about your mother writing away from your grandmother. Nobody has told me that, but
1: that's my favorite part of the book. So one, one of the things you said in, a, in another interview is um, that for you, the pain and joy of being they're inextricable from one another. Um, and, and we've talked a little bit about some of the painful and difficult things. And then you've given us this joyous moment that, that you love about your mother um, I just wonder if you could talk about your grandmother a little bit because she's such a source of joy for, for me as a reader. And I also think to loop back to one of our, the places in our earlier conversation, you talked about what a difference it can make to just have people in a queer or trans child's life who understand and who are supportive. And she, she was very much that. Um, So I I don't want to end the interview without a chance to bring her into it.
0: Yeah. uh, My grandmother was just amazing. Uh, My grandmother, um, I think what made the whole level of love that she made me experience so remarkable is that it was absolutely effortless. It was absolutely effortless. She, she, it was so authentic. It was, you know, sometimes we make even if they're very simple little decisions about how we are going to react to, to things in life, specifically to people, right? You could never see that it was a decision. The love that she offered was never a decision that she made, right? It's not that she said, oh, this child is queer and needs uh, maybe it's better if I am supportive to them than if I'm not. it, it was not a decision it was it was the, her normal reactions were of loving not to everyone but to me right uh, so I believe that my grandmother offered me the most sincere experiences of love. It was just something about me that created that. She was not the same with all her grandchildren. I'm not saying that she was bad with any of her grandchildren, but she was just extremely loving and supportive of me. I believe that she knew that her favorite son Pichon was gay slash queer, and he was not able to experience his queerness, and I was so unapologetically queer as a child that I believe she found a way to offer all the support that my uncle and godfather couldn't even ask for or take uh, to me, and uh, I am glad I was able to experience that. I don't think my life would have had as much joy and beauty if she didn't offer me that. I don't think my life would have been the life of a 51 years old trans woman nowadays if she didn't offer
1: me
0: that. I'm grateful for her.
1: I am grateful for you sharing that with us. And it's such a a beautiful vision that every trans and queer child can have someone that loves them with an open flow from their heart, where there's no question, it, it just is. I think that's a beautiful moment for us to come to the end. Cecilia, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your book and your life with us.
0: And um, thank you for this beautiful uh, interview and for this time that we shared. Um, it was it was really nice. I like doing interviews, but I like this interview a lot. Thank you for. Thank you for leading me to all these things that I said. Thank you for um, taking them out of
1: me. Hmm. You are a gift, and I'm already looking forward to your next book.
0: (laughs) It's all about sex.
1: Well, when you combine that with you are the kind of person who is honest, it's going to be wonderful. (laughs) Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you. My name is Eric LeMay, and you've been listening to an interview with Cecilia Gentili about her new book, *Fultus: Letters to Everyone in My Hometown Who Isn't My Rapist, here on the New Books Network.